we're starting the audio recording for episode zero of the Eric's Mediocre Adventures podcast. And we're going to be doing this uh, by myself for now. Um, I was hoping to have a co-host, but that has not come together quite yet, so for now it is just me. Um, Eric's Mediocre Adventures is the working title for now. It is open to change. Uh, and yeah, I'm calling this this initial episode, just calling it episode zero, because it is kind of a trial episode. Uh, and in this episode zero, uh, I'm going to be discussing the first two uh, Fantastic Beasts films that have been released to this date, and uh, just talking about how I feel about them, and, and kind of, even though they're, they're kind of, I'll just do a, like a brief review of them from my perspective, and then, and then uh, talking about the things I liked, things I didn't like, and all of that. Uh, is, and I, I, f- I thought this would be interesting to do, uh, because well, my initial idea I wanted to do is I, I, I wanted to do me and, and, and someone else discussing this as uh, someone, one person being an avid Harry Potter fan, who would be me, who has read each of the books uh, at least ten times. <laughs> And I've watched each movie countless times. I've played all the video games and all that. And uh, then I wanted to have someone else to go off of and get their opinion on of someone who's just essentially just a movie fan. Like, they've not read any of the books. They've just seen the movies a couple times. And they've uh, just, just, like, you know, the more casual, more casual fan. And, and it didn't quite come together. And I wanted to get this started because it was on my mind. Because I had recently just watched uh, the two films, and I had, uh, started kind of taking note of things as I was watching them this time, because this plan was in the, in the back of my mind, so it is just me, uh, so it's gonna be, I guess, the reactions of an avid fan to, uh, to these two films, and, uh, I guess what I want to start out saying is, um, as someone who is an avid fan, Pretty much everything that has been released, Harry Potter-wise, since the last movie, which would be uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, I think has been quite disappointing. Um, So, like, other than the the first Fantastic Beasts film, which I'll get to, but I I loved it, Um, like... The cursed child. <laughs> I'm going to be very brief on this because I don't. I don't really want to get into it. But um, I've never seen the play. I I hear the play is is, is something else entirely. But I've read the uh, the script, the, like the book of it that came out, and and I I hated it. I hated it so much. Uh, when I read it, to me, it felt like it was written completely by someone else. Like it felt like it was written by the two other people who were credited, and then and that. Uh, Rowling just had like some some suggestions and and some line input at times like it felt like it was written not at all by the person who wrote the other seven books at that time and all the other the Quidditch through the ages fantastic beasts all that it felt it felt different and even now with the two new films that have been written by by JK it's it still feels different it feels like it doesn't belong so I for the most part I I, I tend to ignore it 
and and it's not part of what I consider like my own head canon, uh, which is pretty much just the books, <laughs> books one through seven, and the uh, the textbooks that have been written, uh, which like I'm sure no one cares about what my head canon is, and I'm sure everyone has their own uh, kind of canons, or they just generally don't care at all, which is fine as well. But yeah, that's all I really wanted to talk about it as in regards to Cursed Child. Uh, the play itself might be amazing, and, and how they do the magic and stuff and all that might be great, but the story of it that I read and that was released is just, it's not for me. I don't like it. I, it's, yeah, see, I'm already starting to rant, and I don't want to do that, so cutting that off. Done. Uh, <clears throat> so, let's get to the first Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film. So this movie came out in 2016, uh, four years ago now, and it was directed by David Yates, who directed, I believe, the last four of the Harry Potter films. I believe he did Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and the two Deathly Hollow parts, as I understand. It's, if I'm remembering correctly, yes, it looks like that is correct. Um, yeah, so yeah, it came out. 2016 to generally really good reviews. Uh, it seemed a lot of people really liked it, and it was a successful film that did that did quite well, uh, and had people hankering, hankering, that's a word, yeah, hankering to see the uh, the rest of them. And uh, then it was very quickly announced, either before the film came out or shortly thereafter. That there was a plan for five films to take place in this in this kind of story. Um, so, and as as we know, there's been two so far. The third one is set to come out uh, next year, as far as I know, uh, unless things are going to change for that due to the current situation of uh, the coronavirus, and then of, of uh, what's going on with J.K. Rowling and her and her statements on her Twitter that, uh, well, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good what's going on uh, right now. So we'll see if, if, if any of that affects the release date for it. Um, but yeah, uh, just to get back to the first movie, it's, as I said, it came out in 2016, and I saw it opening night, uh, and then I went the next day with another friend, so I saw it twice in, in the first two days. The first day by myself, second time I went with someone else. And then on after the second viewing, I went and I bought the uh, the script, the 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 uh, whatever it's called. I keep calling them the scripts, but in this one, I guess it would have been the uh, screenplay that that was uh, published with it when the movie came out. So yeah, in this movie, uh, the first one of the series, we follow Newt Scamander. A, who was the author of the textbook Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I believe was mentioned in the very first novel, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And uh, in 2001, uh, J.K. Rowling had written a kind of uh, mini version of it, I suppose, and published it uh, with, with also, I believe, Quidditch Through the Ages was also at the same time or at least very close to that time it came out. And uh, 
so yeah, this film, as I said, follows uh, Newt's commander, who is played by Eddie Redmayne, I think quite brilliantly, uh, as he goes to New York to, as he says he's looking for, to get a gift for someone, uh, to get a birthday gift for a friend, but really he's trying to return, as we find out, uh, oh yeah, spoiler warning, of course, um, <laughs> and there will be much spoilers discussed here. Uh, he's trying to return a Thunderbird that has been uh, kept in captivity. He's trying to return it to its home, which I believe is it's somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember exactly where. Uh, it might be Texas, but I'm not sure. Uh, anyways, he goes to New York, and all sorts of mischief happens, and we meet a nomad, as they're called in America, or muggle, uh, named Jacob, who gets involved in Newt's nonsense, and then we meet the rest of the characters from there. Uh, we meet Queenie, we meet Tina, poor Katina, who uh, anyone who who is familiar with would know becomes Newt's wife. And we also get to meet uh, Percival Graves, who is played quite brilliantly by Colin Farrell. And... Uh, he is a, I believe he's an Auror, and he's very high up in the uh, the Magical Security Department, I guess it's called, in, in, in the U.S., at Makusa. And we get to, we meet him after a creature attack, and uh, which is which is nice, because coincidentally, Newt's there at the same time. Uh, <laughs> it all works out. So basically, in this movie, what happens is Grindelwald is pretty much behind us all. Uh, as we see in the opening, he escaped, and uh, people don't know where he is. But yeah, he's behind this. He's trying to get uh, what is called an obscurial. As we all know, he is trying to get control of an obscurial, who is a child essentially that had lost control of his magic. And uh, he wants to find it and take control of it. And he's using Credence, uh, played by Ezra Miller, uh, who also has his own uh, controversies going on right now. But, yeah, so he's using Credence to try to find the Obscurial, or the Obscurus, I suppose. The oh, I'm trying to remember the distinction between those there. Uh, one's, the Obscurial is the, the young witcher wizard, and then the Obscurus is the force that comes from Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, it's uh, the internet here seems to describe it as a parasite, a dark parasitical magical force that comes from uh, a young witcher wizard's magic being suppressed through psychological or physical abuse. Uh, it is heavily implied that, um, not heavily, I guess it's not really implied, but uh, those familiar with the, with the, uh, the story assume that uh, Ariana Dumbledore, uh, Albus's sister, was likely an obscurial, because we we heard in in Deathly Hallows when it's described of her magic lashing out, uh, driving her mad, etc. So, it's it's a interesting little thing there that was added and that made at least my ears perk up, and I'm sure sure many others ears perked up as well. But yeah, so from from there, I guess um, that's happening while concurrently. Uh, a bunch of creatures escaped from Newt's briefcase, which is where he, inside of it, he he has pretty much has a magic zoo, 
where he takes care of and and rescues creatures and lets them live there uh, until I, either they're ready to be returned to their own habitats or I suppose he might just keep them to just make sure that they're okay. Anyways, <laughs> uh, some of those have escaped. That's kind of the... It's, it seems like it's the A-plot of the movie, but it essentially becomes the B-plot of the movie uh, of Newt and Jacob going around trying to retrieve the creatures uh, with Tina and Queenie's help while uh, Colin Farrell and Credence are out on the hunt for this obscurial. Lo and behold, <laughs> we discover that uh, Credence was the Obscurial all along, and that Colin Farrell is uh, polyjuiced. I'm assuming he's polyjuiced. Not quite sure, really, uh, but that he is Grindelwald, and he has been all along, which is, you know, interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting twist. Uh, it's kind of sad because it, it, it possibly means it's the last we've seen of Colin Farrell, who did so good in this movie. But yeah, is what it is, I suppose. Ultimately, though, the film ends with a standoff between uh, Newt, Tina, and technically Percival Graves against the Obscurus. And then also against the Aurors from Acusa. It appears as if Credence is killed. And then uh, Newt is able to capture Percival Graves. And as I said, he is revealed to be Grindelwald. And the film kind of ends there after uh, Newt uses the Thunderbird and a potion to remove the bad memories from all of the muggles who had seen the Obscurial attack. Or the Obscurus attack, sorry. I'm going to mix those up a bunch, I can already tell. And uh, ultimately, Jacob's memories as well. And we pretty much end it there. That's pretty much where the movie ends. Um, we get a hint at the end that Jacob still remembers everything, or that his memories are going to come back. And uh, we end on a kind of a happy note, because I suppose in this instance, Grindelwald's been captured. The day has been saved. Uh, they couldn't save Credence, but everything else seemed to have turned out okay. Ultimately, uh, I really, as I said before, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was uh, refreshing after the kind of darkness we got in the last few Harry Potter movies, where even though there was some humor, it was still mostly uh, kind of dark and dreary, as it should have been, but uh, this brought quite a bit of levity to the series, I feel, if you're considering all of them together as, as the series, uh, which I believe they are now with the Wizarding World um, branch, as it is. So before I get it more into my in-depth thoughts on it, I just wanted to look at the, uh, the reception for it. So um, these, these numbers might not be completely right, but... Uh, according to this site, hang on, the box office for the film was $814 million against a budget of $175 million, so that's quite good. It was uh, quite a success, and uh, the critical response was very good. 
I'm not a big fan of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, but Rotten Tomatoes had it at a 74% positive from the critics. And the audience score was... I just lost it here, sorry. The audience score was 79%. So a uh, B, B minus movie, essentially. Uh, which is, is very it's, it's very good, I would think, for, for the first in the series. Usually the first in the series aren't, aren't often the best. Um, but many other critics, uh, as far as I can tell, gave it favorable reviews, ranging from A, a grades to B pluses to... Other people giving it 70% positive scores, 90% positive scores on Twin Sites, etc. And it won, uh, it won an Oscar for uh, Best Costume Design. It won many other awards in other shows. And, and I guess they weren't really shows, but in other award ceremonies they won. They won Kids' Choice Awards, Saturn Awards, uh, British Academy Film Awards, ooh. All those kind of things, and it was nominated for, for much more. And now we're going to get to my general thoughts on this. So, watching this film, there were a couple things that annoyed me quite a bit. And it's mostly because of issues either with continuity or just little things they did that felt almost lazy for the sake of just, uh, for, for pizzazz. So the first thing I'll start with, and this this one's just kind of a personal preference, but um, and it, it's it also kind of branches into a continuity error, but the magic. I noticed this happening in the last few Harry Potter movies, and it might just be how David Yates likes to do things, but the magic l loses its like its specialness, I suppose, because it's all just the same white burst of light that comes from the wand, unless it's like a the Killing Curse, or Expelliarmus. It's all just like white or silver blasts, or gold blasts sometimes. Like, it's just, it's just these basic colors. Uh, it's mostly nonverbal, which I suppose makes sense, because, as we know from the books, you learn nonverbal as you get older. Uh, and it's just, it's just so, it, it, it got pretty bland. Like, the, like the battle in, in Order of the Phoenix, for example, against the Death Eaters, it's it's just lights being hit at each other until you get to the, the Dumbledore and Voldemort fight where you get to see the cool magic really come into it. And I'm just not... I just wasn't really a big fan of that. And I felt that, it, that continued into this film where it's still the same. It's this like silver blasts and white blasts and, and all of that. But then it also leads into... Uh, which I feel... To, to what I feel is kind of the continuity error in that which is there's a part where Tina's wand and uh, Percival's wand do the priori incantandum, which is only supposed to happen if the wands share a core, as I understand it. Like, the wands have to be connected in some way. And it just seemed... It just happens. Like, and the, the wands connected and the beams are stuck together and everything, and they're going at each other. But then that's that's it. <laughs> Nothing really happens from it. Like there's no seeing of the 
like what other stuff comes from the spells and stuff and like that's is I okay I might be misunderstanding what it's supposed to do but when that happens as I understand it it's supposed to be when two wands with the same core meet and it causes like a like a spell lock essentially yeah, we see the spell lock happen in this film and I believe it happens in others of the of the Harry Potter series but I know for sure it happens in this because as I said it happens with Tina and with Percival and, and that 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 kind of drives me nuts because I'm like it's 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 so easy to just go hey that's not something that should be possible let's just not do that and then not do it right like <laughs> but that, as I said, that's a personal preference one that falls kind of into a into continuity error that I just wanted to mention. Um, and and when I talk about when I talk about continuity errors, I'm probably going to talk more about the books than I am the movies because uh, it seems to be more accepted that these films, the Fantastic Beasts films, are kind of exist in a world between the movies and the books, so they're like they've got. We don't know what canon they're necessarily attached to yet. I will try to address it from both, I guess, to, to be more fair. But some of my gripes will come from the book. Because if, if something happened in the books and it's inferred to have happened in the movies, then I'm going to assume that it, that is the movie canon until otherwise mentioned, right? So that's just how I'm, I'm going to go forward from here. And I feel doing that allows for more uh, conversation, I suppose. <laughs> So for the ne the next continuity error in Fantastic Beasts was uh, there is a house elf in Makusa who is cleaning wands and he's doing that by being given the wands and, and touching them, which uh, as we know from the books and and I believe it's mentioned in the films. I'm not a hundred percent on that, so don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure they are not allowed to touch wands and all to have wands and all to touch wands that they shouldn't that shouldn't be a thing that's just happening yet it's happening <laughs> all over the place in that one because you see him i think you see him with with one wand at least that he's cleaning in like a little feather duster thing but that's not a big deal it's just just something i noted there Beyond that, I don't really remember any other huge continuity errors in the first film. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick search here to see if there's any the internet like to, to talk about that I missed. Because as far as I know, those are the only two that I picked up on. So I'm just going to pop over here. It seems there's a lot of continuity errors, but it's not uh, like canon ones. It's more just the the normal continuity errors you see in films, where like in this scene he's got a glove, and the other scene he doesn't have a glove. Where'd the glove go? But yeah. Beyond that, beyond that, I think that's that's it. That's all that I can see. As far as I can tell, um, according to this, 
So yeah. Overall, first Fantastic Beasts is I think it's a great movie. I really, really liked it. Uh it made me very excited to see where things went from there. Uh and to see kind of everything that happened. And I just remembered <laughs> one of the other continuity errors. Uh or or things that made me go, huh? Uh if I remember correctly, Tina disarms Grindelwald before Newt uh links his what like before Newt reveals him. I think it's after he links his hands together. But that would mean that Tina becomes master of the Elder Wand, because as we know from the second film, he had it at that point. So that kind of messes up the whole chain of the Elder Wand master, unless at some point he gets it back. But at least from this moment, Tina would be the master, or, or Newt would, depending on how, on how it's decided as to who disarmed him. But it's just, it's not Grindelwald, which means it couldn't go to Dumbledore, couldn't go to Draco, couldn't go to Harry, etc. That chain kind of gets disrupted there, and I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, it can still be addressed, though, as, a, as there's three more movies coming. And then, and we'll, we'll see from there. Maybe they'll come up with a silly reason, like he didn't have it on him, so it's not that one that, was, that lost the allegiance, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? It's just the thing that popped into my head that I remembered as I was discussing my kind of closing remarks on this film. But yeah, uh, great movie. I really liked it. Which brings us to Fantastic Beasts, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which is also directed by David Yates, I believe. Yes. And... What happens in this one is a bit of a mess. <laughs> but this film came out in 2018, and it takes place mostly in Paris, as opposed to New York, which is where everything was in the first one. Uh, but it's not solely in Paris. We get to see uh, London, we get to see England, I believe, and we see uh, Hogwarts again which is nice and then but uh, mostly it's in Paris and in this one we add to the cast uh, we add Zoe Kravitz who plays Lita Lestrange uh, her picture is technically in the first one but this is like her first in-person appearance and um, we add Jude Law who plays young Albus Dumbledore and we add Jonathan Depp uh, as the Grindelwald, even though he is technically in the first one. It's just for a brief moment. Uh, we only get to see him at the very end, and he says like one or two lines. Yeah, two lines. He says the, uh, you think you can hold me? And he says the, will we die just a little? Which I still don't really get. But he's the, yeah, <laughs> that happens. Uh, so in that as far as that goes, uh, I do not have a problem with Johnny Depp being Grindelwald. Uh, I think he's an amazing actor, and he could very well make this role work fabulously. I think the character design of him, though, is a little stupid. Uh, I don't know why they gave him heterochromia. 
I don't know why his hair is bleached like that. And I don't know why he's got a silly mustache and that haircut. Uh, like Grindelwald at the beginning of the movie, when he's the prisoner, it looks so cool. Like if they just kept that look, I think it'd be aces. But yeah, it's the 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 look is weird. Everything else, I'm cool with. <laughs> I'm also cool with Jude Law as a young Dumbledore, except for a few things which I will get into uh, when I discuss the continuity and, and canon uh, errors that come from this film, of which there are plenty. So, essentially, the bare bones of this movie is. Dumbledore asks Newt to go to Paris to find Credence, who is alive, yay, uh, to find Credence before uh, Grindelwald finds him, as Grindelwald managed to escape from Makusa by convincing an Aura who's there to join him and help him and all this fun stuff. And uh, so Newt goes to Paris with Jacob, whose memories are back uh, due to the reason of the potion that was used with the Thunderbird was only supposed to erase bad memories, and Jacob didn't really have any bad memories, so he remembered everything eventually. Uh, and Queenie, I guess, had been bewitching him to get married. Because in America, it's illegal to get married to a nomad. And Jacob was like, let's not get married because then you'll get in trouble. And she's like, I want to get married anyways. Because I love you and fuck trouble. But uh, yeah, so he was bewitched. He gets unbewitched. He almost calls her crazy, which she takes uh, very seriously because she's incredibly sensitive to that word. Which, you know, fair. And uh, she leaves and to go to Paris, because that's where Tina is, and Jacob and Newt follow, because Newt's gonna do his thing, but he also wants to see Tina, yada yada yada. <laughs> uh, before all of that, though, I guess we're introduced to Theseus Scamander, who is a war hero, I guess, and uh, Newt's older brother, maybe? And his fiance, Lila Strange. You know, fun little love triangle there, because Newt liked Lita when he was in Hogwarts and stuff, and probably still does. And Lita likes Newt pretty clearly as well. Anyways, uh, Theseus is out here like trying to get Newt to pick a side. He's like, "Yo, we're gonna have a war. Pick a side." And he's like, "I don't pick sides." And then Lita's like, "Oh, you're so quirky. I love it." And yeah, Paris. We're in Paris. Uh, some shenanigans ensue. And we uh, mainly follow three plot lines, I suppose. No, we follow four. Yeah, so we follow four plot lines. We follow Newton Jacob. We follow Queenie. We follow Credence. And then we follow... We pretty much follow Lita. I guess we follow five, because for a time we follow Tina until she joins Newt. Jacob's story. But yeah, so Newton and Jacob are looking for Tina and also kind of looking for Credence. But they're trying to find Tina to find Credence, I suppose. So they're searching Paris for her and uh, run into some fun little creatures on the way. Yeah, Fantastic Beasts, you know? 
<laughs> Tina's trying to find credence in her storyline, which leads her to an aura. I, I, th I think he's an aura. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's not super clear who he is. But his name's Yusuf Kama, who is also trying to find credence uh, for reasons. And Queenie is looking for Tina in her storyline. But then she ends up getting accidentally, air quotes, found by uh, some of Grindelwald's hench people. Underlings, I suppose. His Death Eaters. <laughs> uh, and uh, Grindelwald starts laying those fancy, fancy word charms on her, trying to get her to be like, "Yo, you should join my side, girl. We got cookies." And that's pretty much what her storyline is, I guess, until they all converge. And uh, Credence is chilling at a circus, a magical circus. Where also, for some reason, I guess Nagini is. And Nagini is apparently a person. And she has a curse that means that she's going to turn into a snake forever at some point. Uh, she's a maledictus. Yeah, so that's, I guess, something that they added. Um, by they, I mean J.K. Rowling added that as she wrote this script entirely herself, as, as well as the last one. They're hanging out, and they're trying to find Credence's parents, or family, I guess. So they search. They're searching for, for, for that. And that's pretty much what they're up to. Uh, the other, and then we follow Lilo Strange, who's also with Theseus and, and a bunch of other auras and, and her story and pretty much what she's just doing is she's just sad about stuff and she goes and talks to Dumbledore and Dumbledore's like hey I get it I'm sad too and then she, her, her storyline's pretty much being sad uh, but she's just trying to prove I guess that Credence is not her long-lost brother, Corvus the Strange, uh, who most everyone else seems to think that Credence is Corvus the Strange, and she kind of wants to prove that he isn't, because she says that she killed him. She, like, threw him off a boat or something. <laughs> no, she, she didn't throw him off a boat, but the babies got switched. She switched the babies around because the kid wouldn't stop crying, and uh, when the boat sunk, presumably Corvus sunk with it. So she's like, he's dead. You're not Corvus Credence. Like, sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think that's all the storylines. Newt, Jacob, Queenie, Tina, Lita, and uh, Credence. Yeah. And so they all eventually converge, as they would at a meeting that uh, Grindelwald has set up, a rally for his followers, uh, where he smokes a uh, skull hookah and shows like images of the future war that's to come, which is obviously World War II and, and, and everything that's going to come from that. 
and he uses that as kind of like a rallying cry to the witches and wizards that they need to uh, step up and kind of lead the world so that the damage that these muggles can do does not happen. And you know, like it's it's a, it's a very good speech. It's moving. I th I think it was really great. Uh, and he makes good points, even though we know from the books that uh, Grindelwald was on Hitler's side pretty much during the war. Like it was, I believe they were they were they allies or were they just had similar ideals? Uh, but they were kind of working together. Maybe not, but he was considered the, like the the wizard Hitler at that time, uh, like which isn't great, really, really not great. So we are at this rally. Everyone's there. Theseus has brought a bunch of oars, and they want to take Grindelwald. And Grindelwald does uh, a cool magic spell. I think it's Protego Diabolica, which is like he puts some some pretty neat fire around him, some pretty neat fire that uh, only people loyal to him can walk through. Anyone else who tries to get through it burns up, etc. It's cool. It's blue. It's great. Like big fan. Um, lots of people die to it. Many of the auras who try to get through. Uh, and one of Grindelwald's uh, Death Eaters gets caught up in it as he goes through. He wasn't very important. I don't remember his name. He looks like a like a less cool Snape, which you know that happens. <laughs> but anywho, uh, a lot of people die there. Grindelwald tells his followers to flee and spread his message, and that. Like the Aurors were the ones who acted aggressively and killed one of his followers, and they hadn't done anything, so, like, attack with no provocation, etc., you know, that kind of perfect stuff you need to happen if you're an evil guy and you want people to follow you. Just, that's what happens. And, uh, we get some kind of paradigm-shifting things here that wall kind of explained aren't really really earned in the uh in the story <laughs> um like queenie decides to join grindelwald uh even though there's not really any reason to do that as he's a super evil guy and she knows that but she joins him anyways because she thinks he will make a world where it'll be okay for her to marry jacob because he kind of tells her that when he's trying to like seduce her with words, he words seduces her. Um, but yeah, Queenie joins them. Uh, Lita is killed because she tries to fight Grindelwald, and I'm gonna put "killed" in air quotes for now, kind of like small air quotes, because I, I have a feeling she's not dead because they kind of like bigged her up a lot in the first movie and the second movie. So I, I think it would be weird for her to uh, to be dead dead. So I'm assuming she's still kind of alive. Uh, Credence goes with Grindelwald. Uh, Nagini doesn't want him to. Nagini stays with our lovable bunch of heroes. And that's pretty much it. Uh, the movie ends with uh, the 
pirate love a whole bunch of heroes and Nicholas Flamel doing a big circle spell to stop the fire caused by the Protego Diabolica, which kind of becomes like a fiend fire kind of uh, dragony beast thing. I don't really know why I'm getting into all these details about the movies. I'm sure you've all seen it. But <laughs> that happens. And then uh, Newt goes to see Dumbledore and uh, Newt's Niffler, who I kind of, I, I want to know its name. It's got one. But Newt Sniffler had taken uh, the blood pact that apparently Dumbledore and Grindelwald made when they were teenagers to not fight each other. And uh, they're determined to find a way to destroy it. And the film ends with Grindelwald giving credence a wand and a phoenix and telling him that he his real name is Aurelius Dumbledore. And that he is Albus Dumbledore's brother. And that's why he's got the Phoenix, yada, 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 movie over. Uh, this movie, for many reasons, is a massive mess. A massive mess. And, and I'm just going to get into some of these reasons uh, right away. No, you know what? I'm going to start positive. The things I liked. The things I liked. Uh, the cast all great they're all fantastic um i enjoyed uh the stuff with credence and like the mystery of who he is until who it, it revealed to be but like everything up to that point i really enjoyed um i would have liked to have seen a little more of grindelwald but what i saw i enjoyed and i'm interested to see kind of where that goes and if he stays um kind of this charismatic person that doesn't look too bad on the front even though we all know he's terrible but uh, I'm curious if he's going to stay that or if he's just going to become full-blown evil in the next three either way um, I'm curious to see where it goes uh, I really like the line he plays <laughs> the line he says when he's leaving after uh, one of the orders like attacks him and it causes the fire to get loose like I saw a review, I watched a review of, that, of the film where someone said they don't know why Grindelwald did that, but like, you can clearly say he didn't do it, like the, he lost control of the magic because someone hit something out of his hand that caused it, to, it caused it to spread, anyway, when he leaves he's like, I hate Paris, and that made me laugh both times, I saw it, <laughs> I thought that was funny, oh, shit, what else did I like, uh, the beast stuff. The beast stuff's always good. I enjoy that. I'm getting to see Newton as element. Like all of his kind of like the awkwardness he has disappears when he's with the creatures, and I and I love that. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I don't want to get into things I don't like yet. Uh, what else did I like? Oh gosh, this isn't good. <laughs> I liked seeing Hogwarts again. That was dope. Um, I think I sad. I think that's it. I think that's really all I liked, which which is like which sucks. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna get into the things that that <laughs> I didn't like, and it's. I'll start with the things that aren't continuity based. The things I didn't like. The movie drags. 
the movie drags on for so long it, and it feels like it's about nothing because so many of the things we spend time on don't result in anything like it's just stuff to eat up time like i don't think jk rowling is as magnificent as a writer she was before with like the the, the seven harry potter books and the, and the two spin-off textbooks and everything i've i can't speak to anything else because i've not read it I've, I've i read the first half of one of her detective books and i from the first few pages i knew who the killer was and i checked and i was right like uh, down to why like sorry I, I didn't keep reading it anyway i don't think she is a good screenwriter um and I think she could do with like writing a draft and then giving it to, to like someone else who actually is skilled in screenwriting. Or, uh, skilled might not be the right word, but like someone who's who who is more experienced in screenwriting to kind of polish it. So like she can make sure that all the bits and stuff, all the nuances and everything she wants is still in there, but have someone like zhuzh it up so that it is um, a better movie. Like, I'm sure if this was written out into a full novel, it might not have dragged like it did, but it, it kind of did. It kind of did drag. Um, which I suppose is, is an upside to the next one, because uh, she's not writing the screenplay for the next one alone. She's writing it with Stephen Close, I believe his name is. And he, who, he, uh, he did the screenplays for all of the harry potter films except for one i believe yeah except for uh except for order of the phoenix so he did he did all the screenplays for that he did this and uh the screenplay for the amazing spider-man which is a movie i enjoy and i know a lot of people don't but i enjoy it quite a bit so like he's he's clearly skilled at adapting her work into, into screenplays i believe is, is all the movies all the harry potter movies are, are enjoyable there's some that are better than others of course but all the ones that he worked on are enjoyable so i am looking forward to to seeing uh how his role impacts the screenplay for the third fantastic beast film so that is something to look forward to but yeah the my experience with animation the movie just but yeah, the movie's just, it's just a kind of draggy mess that it's, where it feels like nothing really happened, even though so much is happening. And it just, it just, I was so bored the first time I watched it at times that I didn't want to see it again right away, which is the first, like, that's a first for me with any of the Harry Potters. Like, normally I want to go back the next day and see it again. And this one, I just, I, I could have cared less. I did go see it again because a friend wanted to go see it a few days later. And I went with them. But I could have cared less to have gone see it again. And I watched it, the movie again for the first time since the theaters today. Like I was at my, my parents' house and I just wanted something to watch. So I put it on and I watched it. Like that is how much I, I, I felt like I didn't enjoy this movie. And, and it's kind of what spurred on uh, the idea was watching the first one again and then w w made me want to talk about them. And I, I think 
I was talking to someone on Facebook, and I kind of like the best way to describe it was I can like this movie, like I can enjoy it if I turn my brain off and just like enjoy the lights and the and the beasts and all this all the magic. But for the most part, it doesn't capture me, and there's too many inconsistencies and errors in it for me to ignore. So like I I, I can't turn my brain off. It drives me nuts. So I'm gonna get into those now. Alright, so the first inconsistency I'm going to talk about, these aren't in any particular order, they're just as as they occur to me. Uh, I've got a list of some of them written down, but I'm going to talk about them, talk them all as, as they come, come to me pretty much. The first, McGonagall. McGonagall is featured in this movie two times, I believe, maybe three once in a flashback and then once at, at Hogwarts at, at the time that it actually is. Which makes no sense because I believe she is teaching at Hogwarts 10 years almost before she's even supposed to be born. Like she was, she's born in the 1930s as far as all the information we have gotten from J.K. Rowling has said. Like, people have tried to, like, from based on all the information in the books and on Pottermore, people try to work out her age. She was born in the 1930s. So, she wouldn't even be alive, let alone teaching at Hogwarts. Because, uh, as we know, she didn't start teaching until the late 50s, because there is a line in one of the books, and it might even be in the Order of the Phoenix movie, I cannot remember, but uh, that said she'd been teaching for 30 years. There's about 30, 38 years. So from 1995, if you just count backwards from there, like, <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to, to see that she was not teaching in the 1920s. So that doesn't make sense. But hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> but that's the first, and that drove me nuts it didn't make any sense as to why she was there which leads me into the next inconsistency Dumbledore the rest of Dumbledore is known for being the headmaster but before that he was known for teaching transfiguration he did not at any point in the recorded information we've been given teach defense against the dark arts he never did it he taught transfiguration and then he led the transfiguration department back when the school had departments i guess and then he became headmaster no defense against the dark arts that doesn't make any sense he he's known for for teaching mcgonagall transfiguration and then she became the transfiguration teacher after him so, like, what what the heck? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Staying with Dumbledore. We know the man does not know how to dress like a muggle. He wears a plum suit and a half-blood prince. Plum, and I believe it's velvet. It seems velvet. Like, in the movie, in the book, it just it's just mentioned as plum. But in, in the movie, it looks velvet. Uh, so yeah, but yet here we have Jude Law looking all slick and clean and in a 
suit and a nice like brown suit with no jacket at one point and then another point he's wearing a pea coat and a nice hat like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it makes it just not make a lick of sense like it's it's just so far from everything we had been told about his style sense to that point i don't like it <laughs> it's like it's such a minor thing but to me it's so big and i hate it and then next we're gonna we're, just, we're on a dumbledore train right now uh dumbledore's looking in the mirror of air said and he sees a memory of him and grindelwald making this blood pact that's not how the mirror of air said works unless at that time he desires making a blood pact as a teen with a young Grindelwald, he shouldn't be seeing that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He's got a pensive. If you wanted to do that scene, just show him watching his pensive and see it in there. Like, I, I know they were trying to get across that he desires Grindelwald, but you could have done that without showing the memory. Like, because that, that, it just doesn't make sense. I hate it. <laughs> There's so much I hate. And then to continue on this wonderful, wonderful Dumbledore train, Credence can't be a Dumbledore. And I have a feeling it's going to be revealed that he's not uh, in later movies. I, like, I think, if I had to guess, he is Corvus Strange, or he's no one. Like, he's one of those two. But Credence cannot be a Dumbledore unless he is Aberforth's son. Otherwise, the years do not add up at all. So, bear with me here. Credence, as I understand it, according to the information given to us on the websites, wizardingworld.com, Pottermore, etc., is supposed to have been born in 1904 or no 1901 excuse me 1901 and as we know from the films i believe it's mentioned in the deathly hollows film it might not have been but from uh, most certainly from the books albus's father uh, was sent to azkaban for life in the early 1890s and his mother died in 1899. So, unless she, uh, unless she was pregnant for two years, or not just that, unless she was pregnant for two years and was allowed a conjugal visit with Dumbledore's father at Azkaban, or Dumbledore's father had a mistress come to uh, Azkaban and he had a conjugal visit with her. There's no way that uh, Aurelius Dumbledore could be the son of Albus's parents or Albus's father. Like, it's it's not possible. And so, I, like I said, the only way he could be a Dumbledore is if he's Aberforth's son. Which, is, we can assume it's possible and say that he's not been mentioned because he dies at some point uh, before we get to the 90s, you know, which is possible. But Grindelwald said that your brother is trying to kill you or is going to come try to get you. 
inferring that his brother, from the way the, the scene is set up, is Albus. Which is uh, not possible, based on every single bit of information we have. It, it's just not possible. So, either it's a big canon mess up, or inconsistency, or the more likely uh, outcome is that he's not a Dumbledore. And he's just being played, and he's probably just Corpus the Strange, uh, as I think he very likely is. Anywho, <laughs> we're off the Dumbledore train. The Dumbledore train is stopped. And so the next inconsistencies we get to, because there is more, uh, first... We see multiple people apparate into the Hogwarts grounds, which we know to be impossible. Uh, it's just it's just not doable. Even at that time, I'm pretty sure it's not doable, uh, unless Dumbledore somehow decided to like, yeah, put the wards down so they can come in, or he invents them later. But as far as I know, it's in Hogwarts history that you can't apparate onto the, the school's grounds. So that kind of takes care of that. Uh, other one, uh, the thing that happens is it's been stated in the books and by J.K. Rowling herself that you cannot uh, use Accio on living beings, yet in this film we see nude Accio the Niffler at one point. Not possible. Next one, Lila Lestrange is uh, mentioned to be the last of the Lestranges because in, in the nice little family tree there, with Corvus's death and her father's death and all that, it's just not, it's, there's no one else, so Lita's the last one. But Lita dies in this film, air quotes again, as I mentioned, there's no, um, I, I have a feeling she's not dead, but... For all intents and purposes, she is dead. Yet, we know of two other Lestranges from birth. And one other Lestrange through marriage, which is obviously uh, Rodolphus, Rabistan, and Bellatrix. So unless, unless there's like a, a branch member of the family, like a cousin or something... That, that shows up, as far as I know, the rest are dead. She was the last. So how does that, like, how does that come back? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, apparently according to the Harry Potter fan website, uh, there is a Lestrange born in 1926. So two years, I guess, after this movie takes place. So it takes place in 1924, I think. Is it 1924? Uh, 1927. Okay, so... There could be another Lestrange alive, because apparently there, 
according to the family tree here, there's a guy named F. Lestrange, and his and and he gets married to an R. Lestrange, and they have a kid born in 1926. Okay. Uh, even though we don't see them on the tree, on the tree we see in the film, I, I think all the other Lestranges are dead. I could be misreading that scene, and if I am, I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, we make mistakes, we're human. But yeah. Okay. Uh, so either I am wrong, and this other Lestrange who lives somewhere else, and this now one-year-old Lestrange continues the line, so Lita could be dead. But if, if not, if she was the only one in this movie that was alive the end of it and she dies there was no one else to continue the line so where does Rodolphus Rapstane and uh, Bellatrix come from who knows I suppose we will see or maybe we won't and they'll just ignore it but <laughs> anywho the only other ones I can think of uh I know a lot of people talk about the uh, Jacob's Memories thing, but I think they, they explain that as well as they could with the bad memories versus the the good memories thing. Like I think I think they covered that pretty well in my mind, so I don't really consider that a plot hole uh, per se. Nagini might... Nagini is an interesting one. Uh, I guess we'll see how they address it if Nagini continues to appear in any of the other films. But you'd think, like, Tom, Tom Voldemort would know that Nagini at some point was a person, and you, you would assume that that would have been mentioned at some point. Unless, like, Nagini lost her mind to the curse, and so she just, like, assumed she was a snake, or was always a snake. And, and like just Voldemort never figured it out. Who knows? We might like that's something that we will see, maybe. Uh, and again, other ones that come up, I feel like I already discussed. So the Elder Wand, why or Tina knew not the master of the Elder Wand in this movie, as we know, Grindelwald would still be able to use it, because uh, we know Voldemort was still able to use it, but. He shouldn't have been its. He probably shouldn't have been its master, or he still shouldn't be, uh, and he might not be. Again, I said that's something they might address later on in in the films. We'll have to wait and see for that one, I suppose. As far as I know, I think that's that's the major inconsistencies that that come to mind. Um, more of my same problems that I talked about in the first one are in this one with with the magic and stuff. But we get to see a little bit more of it with um, with the Protego Diabolica and stuff. Like, we, there's some new colors. We got a blue fire. We got like an orange like shield thing that also becomes fire. There's a little more interesting magic in this one than there was in in, in some of the the predecessor films. Um, one thing too that I'm not sure about. Um, so I didn't want to mention this as an inconsistency. But as I understand it, uh, Avada Kedavra can only be cast verbally. 
because we always hear people say them in the books, in the novels, everything. Uh, they've always been cast verbally. Yet this is the first movie where we see Kellen Curse cast non-verbally. And I believe at, at least once, uh, Rosier loses, uses it on the baby. But I believe one of the auras also uses it at the rally on, on one of uh, Grindelwald's Death Eaters. Um, but I'm pretty sure those have to be spoken. Otherwise, why would Voldemort be speaking them? Like... Anyway, I, that's when I don't know. I don't know if that's if that has to be verbal or not. So I, I, I worth mentioning. Don't know if it's inconsistency. Can't can't speak to that, unfortunately. But yeah, um, like I have a lot of problems with the second movie, as you can tell from this. But overall, um. I remain interested to see the rest of the story goes. Like this, this has not done anything to to lower my interest. Um, I have a feeling if we get another one where I have a lot of problems with it, my interest might start to to go down a bit. Um, but I'm still going into this third one with with completely open arms and, and ready to see see what they give us. Uh, because I I just I love the world and I want to see if. Um, I want to see if the authors of it will pay the same amount of attention to it that all of us do, because I know I'm not the only person who sees these things and, and notes these things and is upset by these things. Uh, and I know there's some people who think it's silly to get upset by that, and, and, and you're right. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other things in my day that I could focus on, but this is what I decide to focus on, because I uh, really enjoy his stuff, and I don't like seeing things that don't make sense whether it's even if it's in harry potter or anything else like i feel like following your canon and just being consistent with the story you're trying to tell should be so easy like you give me a movie to make in a series it's not going to be a good movie but it's going to follow the logic of all the other movies and it's going to the, the canon's going to be there. It's going to be consistent with the thing I'm adapting. Like, I'm not going to... like That's the kind of stuff that I would pay attention to because I know that I would not want to see that. You know? Because it, it just... It, it irks me. It irks me so much. But anyway, yeah. Uh, this was the first test episode. As I said at the beginning, um... Episode zero of Eric's uh, mediocre adventures. It's a bit of a. I know it's probably a bit of a rough go. Um, if you listen to this, I'm kind of all over the place because uh, I tried to write up a little bit of a script to follow, but things kept occurring to me as I was talking, and I got pulled off of balance. Off, I got pulled off balance and pulled onto other tangents and stuff. Um, so I kind of got all over the place. And I know it's not quite the same without someone to bounce off of and, and speak to. So I'm hoping to get a co-host for future episodes. Because uh, I think just hearing someone else's opinion uh, would be would be quite interesting on things. And, and if you did listen to this and this is something you enjoyed or even just your interest is slightly piqued, if you have any ideas of things you want to see 
me discuss or if I can get someone else us discuss um, please let me know uh, some of the ideas I have uh, considered would be to do something like watch rewatch the Matrix trilogy and discuss the entire trilogy and how we feel about it or um, we each if I can get a co-host and the person I have in mind uh, we each pick a graphic novel that is among our favorites that the other person has not read and we read them so I would read my favorite and then his favorite and he would read my favorite and his favorite and we would discuss them I feel like that could be that could be interesting um, and doing more of this kind of thing where uh, that like for my like what my initial idea for this was where we take something that he really likes that I'm not familiar with and we watch it and we discuss it or something I really like like a book I really enjoy that he's or even a book series whatever something that I'm familiar with that he's not and just getting the sense of it from someone who is very attached to it to a more casual um, a more casual viewer just to see how how people people look at that so like even just uh, like even just like a Star Wars movie like watch like see how someone who's just a casual Star Wars fan felt about episode 9 versus how someone who is a huge Star Wars fan felt about episode 9 and discussing it and seeing maybe trying to decipher who the audience for this stuff actually is and how the audience reacts to it like to how the intended audience reacts to it you know uh that's just kind of kind of the kind of stuff i want to talk about and, and, and throw in some news and stuff that we're interested in and everything and, and try to keep this uh keep it casual but but allow it's more like a like i guess an exercise to allow us to engage our brains and i'm saying us but it might it might just be me but an exercise to allow the engagement of a brain into something that either you enjoy or you don't enjoy and it helps <laughs> it helps with passing the time right now as uh, i know i'm out of work i know uh, a lot of people are out of work still um as the world kind of starts to to reopen in some places and others it's it's staying in the the quarantine and isolation phases um we're not really moving past that yet in some places but it, it's it's like a goal it's something to do and it's something to something to do that that i enjoy because i've always wanted to do stuff like this where i can just like one of my favorite things is just talking about the things that i like with people and i don't get to do it enough so i think this if this is something that i can do if this is something that works i think that'll fill that hole and it could be great like not quality wise but it could be great for me <laughs> it could be something i enjoy it, it'll be mediocre for everyone else hence the title but it'd be something that i can enjoy so yeah a bit of a long-winded rant but if you have any ideas uh, based on, on what I said and what, what the kind of the goal of this podcast is, uh, feel free to send them along and it's, I'll definitely consider them. Uh, but yeah, I hope, I hope this is something if you did listen to it and you did make it this far and I hope something you enjoyed, um, I would gladly take any, any constructive criticism. Uh, I know this is probably a bit of a rambly mess, 
But uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back, I hope, for more Mediocre Adventures soon. Peace out.